Charlie. Yow. Um, this is Saswa, a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. We're joined tonight by my pal. Snarly Mark. L. <laughs> Snarly L. Matsky. How are you doing? I'm sitting What's there. going on? I, I don't know about you. My office is like a hundred degrees. It's, it's yeah, and it's just getting hotter and hotter because the door's shut, and uh, we've already recorded one episode. So hey, I'm going to just to bring this up. I'm going on vacation very soon, and um, we will be in the lair of the lizard. The lizard man will be in the lair of the lizard man. Will you really? To I'm not going to get to go. Oh, every no. time you've, you've got to go. I, I don't think I can do you it. Owe it to yourself. See, see, I agree. I completely agree. But we're going with Adrian's family, and it's like they're the type of people that if I was like, listen, let's just swing two hours out of our way and see this place. <laughs> Actually, two hours and forty-one <laughs> minutes out of our way and see this place where there was a man that was supposed to look like a lizard was seen okay. in the eighties. Uh, okay. But here's what you do. Having been there, the, the the lizard man stuff is housed in the cotton museum. Yes. The, the, so you could really sell them on like oh, the yeah. cultural value oh, of yeah. the cotton museum. No, the cotton museum. I was see my mind you, was running toward like sabotaging the car and then being <laughs> like, look, the only repair shop is two hours and forty one minutes in that direction. <laughs> And then we drive up there, and I'm like, "Hey, while we're here, I'm hey, I'm just gonna go out to the what's the swamp called? The Hooker Woman or the Hooker? Oh no, no, the skateboard swamp. <laughs> hooker Woman Swamp. It's probably it's close. It's close. It's close. There's it's a story fine. behind that. I mean, if anyone knows the story, I I just get confused easily. I'm old. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I wish I could go there. I, I really want to go someday to Bishopville. Um, so at some point I'll have to. So, well, someday after we hit the cryptozoology museum, we'll just uh, swing down the East coast. Well, I'm telling you, there needs to be, and I'm, I'm, I think we should kickstart a Saswa documentary, uh, called like Saswa road trip. <laughs> and uh, we we'll we'll run a Kickstarter and people basically back us for no rewards. We're not we're not yeah. giving away anything. <laughs> no rewards at all. <laughs> just, just pay me and we Mark. Might send you a tweet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll have the worst Kickstarter rewards ever. It'll be like for a hundred dollars, we'll 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 tweet at you. <laughs> for a hundred dollars, for for like a thousand dollars, we will link to you on a facebook post so yes so that's it and this uh, is, there's only three available postcards that we'll send yeah. you for this is the long con this is what this is what right. everything with sasso has been leading up to the <laughs> this is why we did almost 100 episodes is the long con the sasso road trip dvd which yeah, will never actually come out. out. We're not even going to film it. We're actually just going to claim that we're filming it. <laughs> go on a road trip. Uh, take a lot of Instagram and Snapchat videos yeah. and convince Talk about people. how great it is. Oh, my gosh. Stuff. You guys, I can't wait to show you this movie that will never come out. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, no, someday we really should go on a 
Yeah, we need to do this road trip. I've mentioned it, and I think it would be, it'd be doable. We, uh, you know, in a, you know, what do you think? Like a month and a half, two months. <laughs> yeah, like two or three months. Two three months no road problem. trip. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna be, honey. I'm going away for three months <laughs> with Mark and Andy. <laughs> we'll be back. We'll be back. Don't worry. It's yeah. not like we're leaving for no. Listen, we just ran this ultra successful forty million dollar Kickstarter campaign, <laughs> so we actually bought a house in Bishopville. Uh, all right, this episode of Sass What um, is about West Virginia monsters, uh, monsters of West Virginia. The, there's actually a book which I'm literally staring at as mm. I say that, called Monsters of West Virginia. Apparently, Rosemary Ellen Guiley contributing. In, in large part, it looks like she might have actually wrote, wrote written, wrote, written, write, write. I used Ratted. to, I used to be a writer. Um, a <laughs> large, a large, she authored. she authored this book, uh, <laughs> which I used to be, I was telling you before we started recording, I used to be really into these monsters of books and I have, mm-hmm. I have Pennsylvania, I have this one and I have one of the, one of the East, Eastern states. Do you have Wisconsin? Did you get the Wisconsin? I think I do have Wisconsin because I wanted. I think I wanted to read more about the Bray Road Mm -hmm. uh, stories. So at the time, and talking about so so this episode might be a little weirder than our usual because I've got I want to talk a little bit about a dog man, or actually this reads more like just a freakishly large wolf, but there's people claiming they saw it stand up in a road or something. Hey, okay, so I was reading. That interview that I just refer- that I referenced on the last episode of Sass What when I was talking about John Green and John Green was asked what he makes of reports, basically hab- habituation reports, like people who claim to interact and hang out with Bigfoots and like they're giving them candy and hanging out down by the yeah. swamp and they're fishing together and you know going on four four wheeler excursions around the swamps. Anyway. Um, he was asked about not in those terms. That was I'm just making all that up. That hasn't what? happened. <laughs> I'm not aware of a four wheeler excursion with a Bigfoot yet. But <laughs> he was asked about all those, and he made a really just simple matter of fact statement where he said um, he doesn't put any stock in them because there aren't. There, he said those are in the minority of reports. He said, "There's there's no large number of these reports, so for the most part, you can write any of them off as being hoaxed or made up." And I was like, "That's just so, so matter of fact. We don't hear that now because now it's like you've got to take everything everyone says as gospel. You shouldn't question people because that could hurt, hurt their feelings and and blah blah blah. And I think that's why the the friendly neighborhood Bigfoot thing has become such a." trending topic it's it's right up there with the you know beheading uh jurassic park bigfoots that are chasing people through the woods yeah and the true giant yeah the true giant bigfoots evil giant bigfoot yeah but i just thought it was such a uh matter of fact way of putting it it made me Mm -hmm. think about all this a lot of these other cryptid reports and keep in mind i'm not saying that everyone's hoaxing i'm just saying how many reports can you just write off because automatically you're you're talking such a minimal amount of these reports that come in. How many of them are just manufactured? Right. And the well, fact- with the the dog man thing, make you know maybe this is where you were going to go, and it was just the idea that um, 
At what point does one sighting of something extremely unusual kickstart into, you know, other people reporting that they're seeing this? Right. Exactly, yes. You know, because... That wasn't where I was going with that. It was, you know, uh, Dogman was very, very specific Mm -hmm. to a region, and now you're getting Dogman all over the place. Well, there are people talking about Dogman versus Bigfoot uh, wars taking place in in on their home, you know, on their homestead, on their ranch, and this is if something like that happened on my ranch, I'd never move. I would have. Camp cameras set up everywhere. I'd be out there. It would be like uh, it would be like Spielberg directing the the Normandy beach scene from hmm. from Saving Private Ryan. I'd be out there like running around with handheld cameras, like following them. Let you know Bigfoot's yeah. decapitating a dog man and drone flyover, drone <laughs> drone going over. Yeah, the whole night gimbling everything. I'm just yeah. g- gimbling all over the like place. The beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, where yes. they have that war. It's it would that that would be it, and the right in the middle, come down with a mace. Yeah, <laughs> right in the middle of it is me with a camera. <laughs> um, so if, I mean, come on, some of this stuff's absurd. Uh, but anyway, the, as long as we're t- so we're on this d- Dogman thing, so I do want to talk about it, which is unfortunate because I I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Um, but basically, there's this this uh, sighting, and what what got me interested in this is when I was growing up, we spent a lot of time around old civil war battle fields and, and, and national parks and that kind of thing. Cause my parents owned a historic bookstore. So I spent a lot of time around these places and this story drew my attention because it takes place in the mountains around Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. And I adore Harper's Ferry. Uh, as with everything relating to me, I adore Harper's Ferry because of a really good restaurant uh, called the garden of food. That it, oh, that is, that I, went. I don't even know That's if it's still name. there. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, because this is a long time ago, uh, but we used to go to this place, and I remember I just had the the greatest chicken salad croissant <laughs> of any uh, any chicken co- salad croissant that I had ever eaten uh, <laughs> at the Garden of Food. But little did I know that mere miles away was a beast known as the Snarly Yowl. Um, which is described basically a, as a, a big wolf. So I'm just going to read this. This is off of a West Virginia Explorer.com article called The Top Five Monsters from the West Virginia Hills. And I will say I did a minimum amount of research on this, but it does seem like there is more to this than just the Mountain Monsters episode. I don't know if you ran into this, but it seems like every monster in West Virginia has been featured on an episode of Mountain Monsters. So mm. bo- both of the ones I'm going to talk about have been featured and i'm sure obviously everyone is well aware of of like the the mothman uh, but mothman is not even remotely in the realm of bigfoot so i'm not going to talk about it and then mm-hmm. i am talking about snarly owl because i have heard people say that that uh dog men are just uh bigfoots with things hanging out of their mouth um hmm. yeah i'll have to tell you that one later it's someone we both know Okay. Uh, creature called Snarly Yow has been roaming the mountains near Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, possibly since the first Germans settled in the Upper Potomac Valley in the early 1700s. Its evocative name is derived from Germanic words that describe a whale 
that emanates from a toothy mouth. Uh, some who have encountered dog-like beasts claim to have shot at it. A motorist near Boonesboro, Maryland, claimed to have run over the monster, only to see it standing and raging defiantly in his rearview mirror afterward. Oh. Others allege to have seen it standing on its hind legs. Similar to the tales of old German settlers, Snarly Yowl is said to appear out of thin air to change its size to disappear instantly. According to the legends, the be- is that a train or that is a train? I thought yes. it may be Snarly Yowl. <laughs> uh, this- it's actually it's my Snarly Yowl detection system. Yeah, well, this is, I thought right maybe now. it was a whale emanating from a toothy mouth. Uh, as this said. anyway uh so so basically i did a little bit of research uh this thing has been seen in the blue ridge mountains uh which is i love hiking the blue ridge mountain uh mountains in fact the best view you will ever see in the world uh is uh above the massanutten resort in harrisburg west virginia um or harris harrisonburg Har- anyway uh it's out that way uh Wait, am I? Yes. I think I'm thinking of the right place. Don't quote me on this. My mother will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, But there's a a view from the Blue Ridge Mountains that is is unbelievable. You hike about four miles up. Um, Unfortunately, when I went, there was an elderly couple on the trail ahead of us who had been told they could easily make this hike. Turned out the lady was a diabetic. And we Uh ended up having to feed her Reese's Pieces just to get her back to home base. So it was an intense hike when I went, but absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful views. You would get, when you got to the top, you actually hiked along this thin ridge the entire way for about an hour, just on the top of this ridge. And to either side, you could see as far as the eye could see. I mean, it was yeah. that kind of, it was awesome. pure America. Um, so I totally, because of that one experience, I totally believe Snarly Owl is... <laughs> is out there because it's a very isolated uh place and it's uh, a beautiful terrain <laughs> what is it with you and saving the elderly this has become like a a thing now when did you tell me that story and then your dogs rescued your neighbor <laughs> <laughs> man you want some snarly owls those uh <laughs> yeah no i i don't think it's my dogs i think it's the yeah. dogs yeah that's not me the 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 hike you know, that was way back, uh, so I can't take credit for it. I just happened to... I'm a big fan of Reese's Pieces, and I happen to have them. So if not for that, my love of food, I wouldn't have been able, <laughs> been able to save her life. What I should have done is just thrown her on my back and hiked her down to the Garden of Food in Harper's Ferry. <laughs> Let me get you a croissant. <laughs> yeah. But no, I thought what was cool about the story is that these these legends of the Snarly Algo way back... Um, and please, if if you're a listener and you'd like to correct me on this, you can. I don't know. From reading on these stories, it really does appear that there are uh, large, uh, inordinately large, abnormally large uh, wolf stories around those mountains and around that particular area. And there are legends of upright walking wolves there. Um, I don't know that they're all snarly owls there's an entire chapter in this monsters of west virginia book devoted to werewolf legends in west virginia so there's a lot of dogman uh type reports out of west virginia um and apparently it, it's something that goes all the way back to the 1700s there um with you know i i haven't done much research into 
dog man but i mean are there do you know are there legends native you know native legends native lore that relates to to upright walking dog-like creatures or is this more of i mean to me this seems like a more of a modern day thing um i know there's legends you know like germanic legends and all that of of werewolves that all that's very european I don't necessarily think of America when I think of werewolves. Mm-hmm. Do you know? The closest thing would be the uh, Skinwalker uh, legends, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that that's sort of uh, like a shaman or a shapeshifter who goes through a series of essentially, you know, like magic rituals in order to become other creatures. And what those other creatures are is sort of, you know, a big question. But I think that would be the closest thing. Whereas sort of the, the Sasquatch in in Native American legend is more of a presence. Um, it seems to me that the you, whenever you're talking about a, a, a dog-like or a human-like dogish figure that has more to do with um, sort of the dark magic type things than it does legends of a just a normal or abnormally large wolf or something like that what was baron samadhi's deal was he was he trying to be in a, a skinwalker in in live and let die what, <laughs> what? was he i, don't I can't remember because now that you said that all of a sudden i'm thinking that he was trying to he was trying to do there was some sort of ritual taking place and roger moore had hmm. to save the day maybe it's I don't know. This that's yeah. a rabbit trail, but uh, it's something. To, hey, it's something mm-hmm. for all of our listeners to think about. Um, and obviously, obviously, uh, there are those Rougarou and Lugarou legends out of uh, Louisiana. But again, I'm not sure how modern that is, and if that was just uh, kind of transplanted from Europe. You know, like a a European legend that made its home in America is completely different from what I'm talking about, which is basically a native American legend. And I'm not sure the skinwalker necessarily falls into that category. You know, like a skinwalker, I don't know. There's something different about a skinwalker. It's almost like a demonic kind of right. Am I wrong? No, I mean, it it is. It's, you know, from my understanding of things, I mean, part of the deal of becoming a, skinwalkers you have to murder somebody mm-hmm. so i mean it is you're talking about you know some very dark things i'm just curious that. if if there are if there's any legends uh, pertaining to upright walking dogs or dog men i should have asked that lady that was on that show i was on uh, a few weeks ago because she had the know-how on all indian legends like she was telling me bigfoot legends uh, hmm. from native lore that I'd never heard of. I mean, stuff that that I probably Kathy Strain is probably aware of it, but stuff I'd never even heard of. Um, and hmm. and East Coast, so we're not talking just West Coast. That's always my issue has been that the the East Coast people refer to the Stonish Giants legends all the time as being Bigfoot. I personally don't think they are, and she didn't think they are either. Um, but I couldn't find anything else, and she had some things for me, so I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the thing you'll always hear Linda Conrad say is that, you know, any dog can really can walk on its hind legs mm-hmm. if it has the right 
motivation to do so, but they generally like a cookie. Don't. Yeah, like we could. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, they have the capability. It's just they don't generally do it. Do you think every time someone sees a dog man, there's a someone hiding just off, off, just out of sight, holding up a treat? <laughs> <laughs> there's just like a German Shepherd. <laughs> that would definitely be more fun. Yeah, Snar- than whatever. Else there's your snarly owl. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yowl for me. Yeah. All right. G- give us something. Oh, well, I, um, when we talk about West Virginia, I think one of the most well-known researchers at this point, and he is relatively new to the, uh, to the Bigfoot world, is Dr. Russ Jones. And I got my hands on his book, Tracking the Stone Man, West Virginia's Bigfoot. And it's a really good read. Um, it's different than some of your typical Bigfoot books in that it's it's much more personal. It's almost like a biography of sorts about how he got into Bigfoot and uh, you know what his involvement is now. And it's really that portion of it that for me was the most interesting portion of the book itself um, because he is heavily involved in BFRO and maybe, well, you know, Joe Gisandi's book, a monster track Mm -hmm. gives you a couple chapters of his experience on a BFRO expedition. But this one is written from an insider perspective. I mean, he is BFRO. He's still BFRO. Russ Jones is. And so thus far in any literature that I've seen, this gives you, the most information about, you know, what happens on a BFRO expedition, what to expect. I mean, it basically gives you, if you were to sign up for a BFRO expedition, it basically gives you the checklist of what would be expected from you and what stuff you would expect be expected to take with you and what you would expect to have happen uh, on one of these expeditions. So I found it very, very interesting just from that standpoint alone. Um, Did he go into any, like, West Virginia-specific sighting stories or anything? Yes, yes. And, in fact, he reproduces a number of BFRO reports, but the neat thing about it is that he then, you know, in many cases, he was the person who went on site to investigate. So not only does he give you sort of that last paragraph that you generally see in the report, but then he has more behind-the-scenes thoughts about, you know, uh, the, the case overall or the veracity of the person that he talked to. So it's even more behind, it's even more inside baseball Did he, from a BFRO perspective. Does he, does he talk about the habitat of, or, or terrain oh, yeah. or any of that kind oh, of yes. stuff? Cause yeah, at length, in fact, that's something a great amount of time in the woods. That's something that we typically do on these state specific episodes when I'm not spending the first 15 minutes making fun of dogs crossing the road because they're being offered <laughs> treats or whatever. Um, and and growing up in Ohio, I mean, I'm sure you had the same experience. Ohio and West Virginia are bordering states, and I spent a lot of time in West Virginia and around West Virginia, um, mm-hmm. especially the western, more western half of the state closer to Ohio. Um, but it's, it's, it's like Ohio... But with mountains, um, right. <laughs> like there, yeah. it doesn't have the same amount of, uh, I guess, populated kind of 
cities, but in terms of the eastern half of Ohio and then all of West Virginia are, are, are very similar in that it's kind of a there's a lot of coal mining history. Um, there's a lot of these dense woods. There's probably more woods, I would think, more forest yeah. in West Virginia than there is in Ohio. Um, and then you've got the hollers, which are these kind of deep hills um, and val- deep valleys, not deep hills. That doesn't even make sense. But these deep valleys. Um around the state where and then you've you've got meth culture and like all these things that that do exist in those kind of very backwoods environments um and it seems like the perfect place for bigfoots to be except you don't hear a ton about west virginia in connection with with bigfoot you always hear florida and pacific northwest and ohio but you don't hear Mm -hmm. a lot about west virginia yeah. And I'm not sure exactly why that is because from you know the impression that Jones gives is that I his estimate is that there's like a Bigfoot family group in each county. Mm-hmm. I mean not like that you know they have the little homestead set up but that's yeah. just drive down the road counties. look for their look for their mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here's some stuff he writes that I think you'd find interesting mm-hmm. about that very idea. He says um West Virginia is the only state entirely in the Appalachian Mountains. Its highest mountain spruce knob at around 5,000 feet. Its lowest elevation is Harper's Ferry at 240 feet at the foot of a f- Garden of Food. What? Whoa. I'm just kidding. At the, at, the, <laughs> at the base of Snarly Yowl Mountain. <laughs> mean, mean elevation is around 1,500 feet, the highest of any state east of the Mississippi. Reviews nationally of many of the sightings show that much Bigfoot activity and habitat is at around 1,500 to 2,000 feet. Elevation in West Virginia increases from the west to east at the Allegheny Plateau, where the rugged country can receive as much as 70 inches of rain. Generally, the higher the precipitation, the larger the Bigfoot population. In West Virginia, the counties that have the highest precip are also some of the least populated in the eastern United States. That's good for Bigfoot territory, but poor for sightings because there's so few people. Ironically, in eastern West Virginia, the two least populated counties, Pendleton and Pocahontas, are very high on the list for reported sightings. That leads you to believe they have relatively high Bigfoot populations. Temperature can vary greatly. Uh, For instance, Snowshoe or Canaan Valley, both of which average around 4,000 feet in elevation, can get 200 inches of snow a year. Charleston, while still hilly, is in the lowlands, gets only around 36 inches of snow annually. Um, general rule of thumb is that for every thousand feet of gain in elevation, the temperature is what you would expect about 200 miles farther north in the United States. Has he had his own sighting? No, he has not. Okay. Oh, I don't think so. Believer, though? Pretty hardcore. I mean, BFRO, I'm Um, assuming. Well, yeah. Let me see. I, I think he's, yeah, a believer. Okay. Uh, he, he takes a pretty measured approach, though. I mean, he says, my, to the non-believer, my only hope is that I've given you enough information to make you curious, to think there's a chance something could be out here. Cool. I like it. So he's, he's pretty level-headed from just the whole way he approaches this. But to me, I mean, in addition to some very cool reports, but I, I like the BFRO behind-the-scenes stuff probably the most. Just because I know I'm never going to plunk down 
$500 to go on one. So yeah. this is the next closest thing yeah. to being there. I'll take you on a BFRO expedition. I'll give you a pretty good discount. Give me like 200 bucks. I'll take I you get that. to oh, a yeah, scholarship. But that's just <laughs> that- you. Andy's, Andy's 300. So like, <laughs> so, I mean, it comes out to $500, but it's for two of you and I'll oh. take you to Oak Hill uh, trail and we'll go back. We'll do some wood knocks. We're not going to stay the night or anything. And you guys have to pay for dinner for me, actually. <laughs> and there's cicadas everywhere. Just, okay. just word to the wise. Can I bring a weapon? No. No? no we're good. You got me. Uh, <laughs> you'll be fine. What was I thinking? Uh, um, Grafton Monster. So Flatwoods Monster, I'm well aware of. Um, and the Grafton monster, apparently I've read about, but I just com- completely forgot. Um, this story um, is about Grafton, which is in the seat of Taylor County in the north central hills of the state. Um, it's on the Tigert River, about 25 miles south of Morgantown, which I know where that is. 21 miles east of Clarksburg, know where that is. 150 miles northeast of Point Pleasant. Um so so you're kind of in Monster Central here is what I'm yeah. picking up on. But this is a cool story. So I found all this information on a forum. <laughs> um, and apparently the conversation was sparked up because of the Mountain Monsters episode about the Grafton Monster. And for the most part, the forum uh, posters were saying, this is all bullcrap. You're an idiot if you believe this. You're crazy, blah, blah, blah. And the sane, sensible people who were posting these articles were trying to say, listen, I'm not saying this happened. I'm saying this incident, what took place actually happened. It's documented. Um, it's a historical event. It's like the Minerva monster case. You know Whether or mm-hmm. not there was a Bigfoot there, I have no idea. But you cannot say that this event in general did not occur because it did occur. It's documented. It was in the paper. And the reason it's so well documented is because it involves a reporter. Uh, who was in his mid-20s, who wrote for the Grafton Sentinel, which is now called The Mountain Statesman. I'm actually really glad I have this book because it has some info here that I'm probably going to end up using because I was actually trying to find these original articles today and couldn't come up with them, um, but I didn't have this information. So um, I'm, I'm going to actually read this from the book. Um, again, this is coming from Monsters of West Virginia, written by uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. So just to make sure we're giving credit where it's due. Um, she said, uh, or it says on June 16th, 1964, Robert Cockrell, a young reporter in his mid-20s for the Grafton Sentinel, ended his evening shift around 11 p.m. He headed home in his car driving along Riverside Drive, which follows the Tigert. Cockrell knew the road well, zipped along at about 50 miles an hour. He was for the most part alone on the road, for most residents were in bed by this hour. Night was clear. Cockrell was in good spirits. He rounded a curve and entered a straight section of road about a mile long. His headlights caught something that he knew immediately was out of place. It appeared to be a huge white obstruction on the right side of the road, standing between the road and the riverbank on a cleared-off section of grass, as he later, as he related later. Almost as soon as he saw it, he realized it was not an object, but a thing, a beast the likes of which he had never seen before. It stood seven to nine feet tall and was about four feet wide. It was stark white with slick seal-like skin or a covering that resembled seal skin. It had no head. As he passed it, the thing did not move, but Cockerel could tell that it was, whatever it was, it was alive. Um, she goes on and talks about um, he goes back to town, gets two friends. They come back to the spot, and the thing was gone. They searched up and down the riverbank. Nothing. There were no tracks. Uh, grass where Cockerel had seen the creature had been smashed down by something quite heavy. Um, he didn't mention it right away. 
Uh, he ended up writing a small story was written from a cynical point of view that was published on June 18th. Uh, word of the sighting goes around town. And what ends up happening is classic small town monster case. Um, a posse forms. So uh, more than 100 teens and adults armed with flashlights, mallets, crowbars and bats and other crude weapons thronged to the river at night in hopes of tangling with the headless horror. More than tw- headless horror. More than 20 searchers said they saw it, including at the nearby stone quarry. Uh, so 20 searchers said they saw it. Um, anyway, it's a it's a big story. It really goes on to inform kind of the community, and it's it's but it's a classic Minerva kind of case too, because the town apparently wants nothing to do with it, and that's what's cool about this forum that I found. It was kind of people from the area around Grafton talking about the sighting and you know some guy had just kind of learned about it was just kind of doing his own research on the Grafton monster and I think he wrote a book but he did not give any info on the book so it started out they just recounted um, the the story and then other people chimed in and said uh, this is bullcrap blah 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 um, he goes on, explains the sighting. I'm trying to find... There was actually someone that posts in here who claims to have seen something. So that's what I want to find. All right. All right, so this is cool. Um, my grandfather told me about this creature one time when I was young. I would like to have asked him more about it, but he's long gone. The name he called it was the Face Basilisk. I remember him telling me a story of the guy he often bought cattle from. The guy lived in the Knottsville area. I believe near what some call Blue Deep. I don't remember what animals were involved, but some of them had apparently been abducted and taken into the forest. Not a whole group at once, but one animal each time over a span of roughly three months. The guy and my grandfather had searched for each animal after it had vanished, but it left no trace. The missing animal would be heard moaning or yelping in distress in the early mornings, and when you followed the noise and came upon the animal, it was dead. The cause was undetermined, but my grandfather claimed that each animal's face had been disfigured. This is the first part of the name face. I don't believe my grandpa or his friend ever saw the thing firsthand, but the people around Grafton claimed the creature had a seal's skin or hide. I don't recall it being headless. Everything else that people are saying today seems to be fairly close to the description I heard long ago, though. And that guy did not give his name. His name on the forum was a wise man once said. Um, And then... There was another guy that posted, I've seen the creature called the Grafton Monster several times when I was young, and it was very real. My first encounter, I was with my father cutting wood. We had finished and were loading the truck when our two dogs started barking. We stood there. Oh, you did you catch that? The dogs are barking? Yeah. Uh, snarly yowls, perhaps? Yeah. Two, two snarly yowls versus <laughs> the Grafton Monster. Uh, we stood there and listened. Something was walking, getting closer. My dad told me to get the gun from the cab. Whatever it was had picked up its pace and continued toward us. All we knew for sure was it was big and wasn't scared of, of us, the dogs, or the chainsaws. It start, stopped about 50 to 55 yards from us in the trees and went quiet. My dad pull, pulled both hammers back and stood in front of me and told me to be ready. Next thing that happened, I'll never forget. It stepped out, looked at us, took three strides, strides in our direction, turned, and walked back into the tree line. That was my first sighting of the beast, and I'll never forget it. My second encounter was about two months later at night while fishing alone. This guy's name is Woodsman. Uh, these are not definitive, or even we have no clue if these people these people could mm-hmm. be making up these stories. But sure. um, 
this is the story that I that I thought was cool. This guy posted and said, I kind of gave up pursuing the topic after I tried to whip up some interest in the 50-year anniversary of the original Monster Hunt. I went to Grafton, stayed at the Park Lodge since nothing was left in town, distributed pamphlets, reprinting the news stories from the original sightings, talked to a couple people, absolute brick wall. Whether or not you believe in the monster is irrelevant to me. The reports in the ensuing monster hunt did happen. They are historical events. The idea of a small town in West Virginia caught up in the monster hunt fever is an interesting enough story in and of itself to merit some commemoration. Plus, with the great success of the Mothman Festival and the depressed and degrading condition of Grafton itself, I would have thought the folks there would be at least a little interested in using the town's history to drum up some excitement and business. Apparently, I was wrong, as there has never been any response whatsoever to the emails and letters I made to the Chamber of Commerce, local newspaper, etc., the only folks who seemed at all interested were the nice ladies at the library who helped me track down yearbooks and other resources that I hoped to use to contact people who might have actually been in town at the time and remember the events. The lady at the counter in the lodge who seemed genuinely curious about about it when I did my I will discuss monsters at the drop of a dime any dime bit there. <laughs> Sadly, I'm kind of worn out chasing this one. All anyone remembers or wants to talk about, usually derisively, is the Mountain Monsters episode, which had absolutely nothing to do with historical events. All my best to anyone even remotely interested or curious about the 1964 events. So you see where I'm coming from with the Minerva... I mean, it just really reminded me of Minerva or Whitehall. The town just kind of, you know, ready to let it die, I guess. Yeah, but that's fascinating. I yes. mean, I'm, I'm really not, you know, up to speed on this story. And the thing that I'm really intrigued about is the creature itself. Yes. It sounds so unusually strange well that's really weird so i i saw someone else and i didn't copy every single person that was talking about this there were there were other people that said they'd seen it and there were other sighting reports and things like that for the most part people seem to agree that the thing had a head it was just big shoulders you know no neck kind of thing mm-hmm. so to me um being seen close to the river more than likely you know a either a bear or a Bigfoot that had just come out of the river or been playing in the river or something, you know, it's wet, wet fur or something like that. That's kind of what it sounds like. The stark white, uh, thing is really intriguing. Mm-hmm. I'd like and, to try and this and, other basilisk thing too. I mean, that takes it in an entirely mm-hmm. different direction. Yeah. I, I'd like to try and contact this writer the guy who actually wrote the story, but you know, 1964 and the guy was 18. It's a long time ago. Um, I don't know if, if we can, this, this story could be dead. 1964, mm-hmm. anything prior to 1970, I'm, I'm starting to find is extremely difficult to cover. Uh, you, you're losing witnesses too quickly. So, sure. and the town that this writer that wrote on this forum seems to, think that town want, doesn't want anything to do with it which means you're not going to get any help from anyone around so but i still want to learn more about it because it's very kind of a cool story yeah it's so creepy the, the, the creature itself is so strange and then like you said you have the posse situation where in this report i mean 20 people saw it right at one time yeah that's uh that's exceptional yeah i thought it was a good one hmm so um, do you want to hit hit one more before we wrap up this one? Yeah. This episode is yeah. going to be a little quicker than our usual, but I've I'm preparing for a vacay. 
You're going shark hunting, right? I'm going uh, down there, lizard man hunting, and yeah, yeah, shark hunting, dude. It is my bucket list. My final bucket list item is to be mauled and killed by a shark. <laughs> I, I, I just think that would be the way to go. You just your your final moments would be so macho. Uh, <laughs> you're screaming. You're you're fighting for your life. You know. I just, would you be like in that cage and then? Exit the cage. Or no, just and jump in the water. <laughs> like, like I'm entering the ring or something. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. And I just open the cage and I swim out. Yeah. No. I, I see. In my mind, I was. It was more like a. I'm just happily swimming out to sea. I'm like 70 years old, 70, 78 years old, okay. 80 years old, something like that. I'm swimming out to sea, and there's a song playing. You know, maybe some piano, kind of soft piano music. Da, 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 da. And I'm I'm heading out, and there's a smile on my face, and then bam, like something's got my legs, and it's just like that Quint scene in Jaws, and I I you know there's this uh, some blood comes out of my mouth, but then I like I get there's some grit and determination in my eyes, and I turn around, and suddenly for whatever reason the shark actually comes up above the water, and we're like face to face out of the water, and then I say something really intimidating but kind of at the same time kind of philosophical you know like no mountain was ever too high (laughs) and then and then we go at it man we're fighting we're fighting but there's respect there's like mutual respect because i'm i'm dying i'm about to die but i'm dying because this guy wants to feed on me that's at least that's what i'm thinking <laughs> my my bucket list item shut the call down apparently it did it was too glorious yeah <laughs> all right so go ahead unleash Report? yeah unleash all right. yours okay. all right well this comes out of the aforementioned pocahontas county and i really love this story because it's a father and son scenario mm-hmm. november 69 i was on my first hunting trip with my winchester 3030 and had received on my 11th birthday in August, my dad and I were near Marlinton, West Virginia, at a campsite we frequented a lot. I do know the name of the people that owned the land. I will not give it out here, even though I know they are deceased. It was well past daybreak on a clear, crisp morning. Dad was not one to rise too early, since he knew we were hunting on private land with an apple orchard to boot. So about 7.30 a.m., we headed out. Now, I could not get you to this place now. And Daddy passed away in 1990, but I can draw you maps, layouts, whatever you like. As we left the camp house down the dirt road past a small pasture area, you come upon a wooden fence around a hayfield that stretched from the dirt road to the river. That river is famous in my mind, Trout River in West Virginia. Right at the corner of the fence, Dad made me kneel down, saying that he saw a bear. Dad slowly rises and peers through the scope mounted on his 30-odd six. After what seemed like a decade to me, about 15 seconds, he kneels back down. I said, did you lose him? And he said, no, it's still there. I said, are you going to shoot him? And he said, no, because you don't know what it is. Now, my daddy taught me about every critter that ran through the woods, and for him to say that he didn't know what it was sent me into shock. He told me to look at it. I always carry field glasses with me when I hunt, still do. I slowly stood up, located the animal, and put the glasses to my eyes. 
I'm retired military, and what humans do to humans scares me more than what I saw that morning. It was a very large animal, about nine foot tall, standing across the hayfield by the other fence post. There was very little hair on the face, and I remember thinking that he looked like the very kind and wise man that my father knew. I was not afraid at all, and at the time thought that it was more afraid of us. I looked at that animal for nearly a minute before kneeling back down. It had brown hair with streaks of red, with a dark brown face and very dark eyes, but not without soul. Its hairs, it, its hair, not fur, did not seem to be matted or nasty. No, I did not smell anything. After a minute, Dad and I stood back up and the thing was still there. Dad scoped it, and I glassed it for about 30 seconds when Dad said, Come on, let's head back to camp. Once there, he took my gun and chambered the only round I had in it, then filled the magazine. He loaded a 12-gauge with slugs, then got a 300 h H&R Magnum from the gun case and loaded it. On a beautiful fall day, he would not let me out. The following morning, a Sunday, you could not hunt till noon. After breakfast, Dad asked what I saw. I told him, and he said, me too. He said, we should keep this to ourselves, and as far as I know, we did. I did share this with my sons after Daddy passed away, saying that was the only time I saw him, quote-unquote, nervous. Cool. Where'd, where'd that take place again? Pocahontas County. Where's that at? Oh, good question. I think it's the eastern part okay. of West Virginia. Right. And in it's one of the least populated counties. Okay. Near Marlinton. Okay. West Virginia. I love it. I would like to revisit this topic at some point. Maybe I'll have some more info on this uh, Grafton monster. I say that, and we've only got like five episodes left before I'm gone from the show so uh i'll i'll return someday and we'll talk about, about the, the triumphant monster. yeah west virginia what is it part three or part, four part whatever yeah but you know they call it the pacific northwest of the east coast and i you can you know with between the elevation the rainfall and all that stuff it just yeah. seems like this little pocket of Definitely. possibility it's <laughs> 